1: Hello and welcome back to The Midpoint. Today's guest really is radio and music royalty. He moved from MTV to BBC Radio 1 to host the first national radio show dedicated to R&B in 1996. And he's still bringing us his landmark show Rhythm Nation on Radio 2 four nights a week. I'm a fan and regular listener. I am of course talking about Trevor Nelson. On the cusp of his 60th birthday, this DJ shows no signs of slowing down. On top of weekly slots on Radio 2 and 1 Extra, he's headlining live music events up and down the country, curating and hosting Trevor Nelson's Soul Christmas, and championing R&B music worldwide. So maybe it's not surprising that he says he can't sit still. And that's why we're welcoming back Dr. Sarah Gilchrist, a high-performance consultant specialising in sleep and recovery, to chat about how you get a good night's sleep when you don't work a regular 9 to 5. Even though Trevor's a household name, who's interviewed some of the biggest stars, Beyonce, Mariah Carey and James Brown, to name a few, I want to find out more about the hard work and dedication that made him the trailblazer he is today. So let's meet Trevor. Trevor Nelson, MBE, welcome to The Midpoint. How are you?
2: I'm very well, thank you, Gabby. Lovely to be with you on this podcast. And I'm, yeah, Midpoint is where I'm at. (laughs)
1: You certainly are. And can I just say as well, for our regular Midpoint listeners, there's a new sound going on. And that is the sound of a Kenny Logan installed air conditioning unit, because where I record these podcasts is very high up in the house. And This week it is sweltering. So it's given me, if you don't mind me saying, a slight Mariah carey There's a slight breeze blowing through my hair. It's got the wind machine, the plant behind. I could be kind of sat on some decking somewhere just, you know, gently chewing the fat in the breeze, which gives us a different vibe to this podcast today, I think. Sun does that, doesn't it, Trevor?
2: Mm, You you should never be doing your podcast at the top of your house because the house I I live in now... um, when I bought it, it's got a big loft that needs, you know, like when you are walking, oh, I could do something with that loft. He had an AC unit in there and I thought, what's he doing? And I got rid of it. And as the summer hit, oh my God, it's unlivable up there. So but we did this, I
1: I did this up during the World Cup when I was in Qatar. So I was doing it remotely and instructing all the builders and what they were doing and everything. And my electrical specialist guy, he put a little heater in for me for the middle of winter, and he said, Do you want some air conditioning for the summer? And I went, nah. <laughs>
2: Open window, I- if we could.
1: Well, of course I was in Qatar. It was 38 degrees. I was thinking, well, and I was probably sat in an air conditioned apartment, right? In Qatar thinking, no, I'm cool. I'm really cool today. It's all good. Anyway, um, I'm here, you're here. We're enjoying the sunshine. I've got you um, late in the day because your working day starts a bit later because of your your show, obviously. Um, Talk me through kind of, I'm always fascinated to know people who work, as I see it, different shifts, you know, how your day works and how that works with your body clock.
2: Well, me and my partner, we're like ships in the night. Works she well. Comes home, she goes to bed at, when I'm going to work, um, <laughs> and and I suppose that that that's longevity of our relationship. It makes it work. Uh, we're not in each other's faces too much. But no, I I'm I've always worked off piste if you know what I mean. Time-wise, mm. I've never done. A, a thir- I mean, thirty years ago, I did a nine to five. Since then, I've never done a nine to five. So I am now. I would leave home about nine, get to work about half nine. I've been, just before I've started this podcast with you, I spent the last three hours doing playlists because I playlist all my songs on my shows. So that takes up half my day to be fair. And I've just had, just they've just left seven years in the same house, Gabby, internet, terrible. They've just come in and hardwired me. So as soon as I get off, I am running around like a child, right? <laughs> Literally testing every room. Ah, oh, it's going to be joyful. It's going to be like we got you just at the right time. Then this internet have, I mean, is beautiful. It's, really, it's beautiful. Really good move. And you've got the best internet. You're the first person to test my internet. My name.
1: <laughs> and you moved. I think I've had, if my research is correct, you've moved to the burbs. You moved out of town. Moved a little bit further out a few years ago. You know, you think of, and, and we'll talk a bit about this about DJs and kind of the aging process, how you stay relevant to your audience and how you kind of stay relevant to your music. Did that feel like a big psychological move? Because I think you were, were you Shoreditch or somewhere super trendy in the yeah. Middle of town.
2: Yeah, I was trendy, but I wasn't trendy. Do you know what I mean? I grew up. I grew up loving. I tell you, my spot was Camden Town, where I wish I was born, brought up, lived. It, you know, in my in my sort of. Teenage years—that was where I went. I went to Electric Ballroom every Friday night. I, it was my first club. I, I, I loved all the bars in Camden. I loved the whole vibe of Camden. I just wanted to live in Camden. We did Pirate Radio Kiss FM in Camden. You know, um, we did warehouse parties in Camden. We, you know, people knew where we were and they didn't grass us up because we were part of that Camden clique. You know what I mean? And uh, Camden now, to me, is just sort of like. A flea market for tourists, you know, that's what it feels like now. And then it's all shifted to Old Street, Shoreditch. So when I was in Old Street in Shoreditch, um, well, Clark and well, sort of in between Clark and Old well Street, um, it was cool to be there, but I'm not cool. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be cool. I didn't want to step out of my house and loads of young people walking past and being cool and getting excited. I thought, I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> this isn't for me, you know, so it was a constant reminder. That you're in the middle of life. Now, when I was 18, that would have been a dream. But not when you enter middle age. It wasn't, you know, it was great for property prices, but not for my mental It lost space, its
1: luster a little bit.
2: Yes, lo- yes. Yeah, yeah. There was no zen about it.
1: <laughs> so you then, uh, you got yourself a dog as well. In the last oh, few years, yeah. so you kind of you kind of entered um, a lot of the adult kind of things that people do. Maybe a little bit later, because people kind of move out, don't they? When they get sometimes it's when they have kids, sometimes it's when. And I'm not saying just London, but people do that in the big cities, don't they? They want to move out. You've probably done it a little bit later. Do you, do you think that was because of obviously you mentioned work and what you're doing and having your finger on the pulse with music and gigs and DJing. It's really in town, isn't it? They're in towns, those things that you do.
2: Yeah, it's really difficult to explain to people who don't do a regular sort of nine to five how you can't have things like pets. You can't, you just can't because, you know, it's no point being in a Ibiza one night, coming back. You might miss the flight. You know, you might, you just don't know. You can't, you can't, you have people, you can't have people oh, Keep hold of the dog. I, I, I've i just missed the flight because, oh, it's the plane's night I drank too much last night. Yeah, you You've you got to be responsible. And having a dog is more than like having a child. I cannot believe I've never had a dog, Gabby, until now. I genuinely am in love with my dog. And um, he is wonderful. I've got fish as well. And What's cat. the dog
1: called? Let's name the dog.
2: The dog's named Ollie.
1: Ollie. after okay. a dear friend
2: of mine who passed away a few years ago. But he was one of my favourite friends in the Caribbean. And, you know, I just thought as a tribute to my name, my dog Ollie, because I, I love him unconditionally, my dog. So, and I loved my own mate. So, yeah, you know, and he's just he's a Cavapoo, not my choice. I wanted something like, I wanted a proper dog, like a Labrador or something like that. But the missus had our heart set on a Cavapoo. And the thing about Cavapoos, when you, you know, we were, Trying to get one in lockdown, obviously, but we wanted one before. They doubled their price. Yes, they did.
1: They were they went insane, didn't they? In lockdown, it's very valuable. Um, yeah. And so, do you? When you look at what your life is like now compared to the thirty-year-old you, does it does it feel? I mean, you're, you're sixty next year. You look incredible. We'll get onto that in a moment. <laughs> but you know, you're sixty next year, and yet when I listen to you on the radio. And you're you're playing tunes that I want to hear and, you know, your show is brilliant and you can, you know, you just saying then that you spend half a day on your playlist, you can see, you know, you can hear that in the, the proof is in the pudding. Um, Can you believe, you know, what your life was like and what your life is like now? And yet you're still kind of doing it. You're doing the same thing.
2: Yeah, it's very different though. I mean, at 30, I was on Radio 1. I was at a record label. I was hungry. I was, I was working so hard. I was nervous. My life wasn't in my own hands. I thought I'd have five years. You, you know all those things. You know, I look at your career in a similar way. You know that you just don't, you cannot plan your future because it's in the hands of others all the time. Not, and the competition's constantly coming at you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, and then when someone says, you come into my barbecue? No, <laughs> I've got stuff to do. You, don't, you shut down all your social stuff. I, I, I didn't enjoy life at 30. I, was, I enjoyed the job, but I didn't I, – I suppose I was up for the challenge mm-hmm. and I felt I was doing good stuff and I felt I was doing, you know, you know, I, I, I had ethics and I had all this stuff and I saw people around me who didn't and they, get, they were flying past me to, to a certain degree, you know, and I was thinking
1: – But they were flying and crashing maybe, were they? Were they zooming past and then crashing a bit?
2: Yeah, maybe, maybe eventually crashing, but, you know – DJs would be bigger than me, um, people on TV i 'd be doing MTV someone would be doing channel Four, you know yeah yeah it depends what you want out of life. Um, I decided that I was happy with where I was, and the one thing I worked at at thirty I really worked harder was not being envious it 's really difficult when you get in the media not to look at somebody else and think, why is that person doing that and I 'm not you know that, did you get that, Trevor
1: because that's a really big life skill you know in a really competitive industry
2: yeah it is I think you know being a minority back then was always although people talk about it now and people don't get why people harking on about being a minority so much enjoy your life well back then it, there were so few of us that were doing that were doing national radio doing tv doing stuff like that that you couldn't really be envious you felt that you were a bit trailblazy you know I'm I mean, I'm on, I'm on Radio 1 doing the first ever R&B show. You know, um, I've got to keep this going. It wasn't like I was looking over my shoulder going, oh, he's coming up or she's coming up. It was, no, it's just me, you know what I mean, <laughs> to, to, to a certain degree. But when you move to TV, it's different. It was like, uh, you've got to want telly. You've really got to want telly to do telly, I think. You can't sort of just go on and go, oh, okay, today's today's telly yesterday was radio. No, you got to want it. And I... And at times I watched things and I thought, why aren't I doing that? And I thought, I shook myself and said, no, don't think like that. Be happy with what you've got and work on what you've got. Because I saw so many people chasing a dream that wasn't really their dream. I don't think they were really that focused on what they wanted to do. They just wanted to be bigger and bigger and more famous. And they'll take on any, and you end up taking on gigs that you aren't suited for. Or, you know, an agent says, you should do that. You've got, to be, you've got to be really your own person and focus and say no. Being able to say no is so powerful. And I decided a long, long time ago, I'm not going to chase Saturday night television or be that person. I'm going to be in my own lane and be the best I can be with what I've got. And in the end, I've got this longevity because of that. I, I really believe that because I, I think it's better to be good at one thing or two things than try to be great at ten things which is the norm nowadays.
1: Mm. Everybody is supposed to be able to turn their hand to anything. But what you're saying there as well is so wise. Did you have counsel? Did you have people who gave you that kind of advice? Because as you say, agents, you know, particularly I think in the 90s, there was a, a you know, a go, 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 try this, do this. There's lots of, lots of TV stations were opening up, new radio, digital. It was all kind of expanding. There seemed to be more jobs and more things to do. So to keep really deep in an area and specialists like that, That takes a bit of willpower, really.
2: I think you do it yourself. I don't think you need people around. I I didn't have people around me because no one had done what I was doing. You know, you you can't have people giving you advice who have never walked the walk. You You can have people have opinions on what you're doing, but, you know, they've not walked your walk. You know, they've not had to sit in meetings where people don't really get it, but you understand why they don't get it, so you've got to compensate for them not get you know what I mean it's very difficult to explain but I just I think the seismic change for me was at 30 all I cared about was just keep working I mean I must have worked six seven days a week when I was 30 definitely which I looked older at 30 than I do now <laughs> <laughs> because I was I was getting no sleep you were just more tired yeah
1: can I just can I just go back to something you said about being a trailblazer? Because I was looking at your career and I'm glad you said that because I was thinking, should Trevor Nelson have had a more high profile show earlier on Radio 2 or Radio 1? Were it not for the fact that he was a trailblazer in terms of the color of his skin? And there were not many um, black DJs 35, 40 years ago on national radio stations. Did you ever feel like because what you've talked about now is your niche, actually, is what's keeping you so relevant and, you know, still at the heartbeat of, of one of the biggest stations in the country. Was there ever a feeling inside you, though, that actually I would like the breakfast show on Radio 1? I would like the, you know, drive time show?
2: No, I'm, and, I, and I'm not going to sit here and say ever, it was down to the colour of my skin or anything. I got opportunities I didn't take um my boss at radio one he was a very at the time Andy Parfit he was a very very wise person like people person he was clever he was he was very likable and he I remember going he invited me around his house once once and I went around and he I remember we were shooting the breeze a little bit and he, he always had an agenda instead of asking me would I like to do daytime he wanted to know you know like that thing where they say guess what I've got for you? I'd like you to do... I'd like No, he he wouldn't ask me so I'd shut him down. He left the door ajar. He wanted to hear me say, I'd like to do a daytime show. But my problem was, Gabby, I represented a style of music that if I jumped ship from doing specialist R&B, hip-hop, and that sort of stuff, and I ended up playing Britney, you know, Oasis, and whatever was the music of the day, all of those people that followed me would go... He just wants to be famous. He's not truly into his r and hip hop. He's not a true, he's not our guy. So I, you have to sacrifice the ability, you know, your potential to be a much bigger person. And, you know, I can't complain. I also had a similar thing with BBC television. I had a, I went to, I had a friend who was one of the key guys who started Strictly Come Dancing. May he rest in peace as well. He worked with Mick at Kiss FM and he called me up to to, BBC, to the BBC and he said, what do you want to do? Do you fancy Saturday night television? And I remember at the time Ian Wright had just done a stint on Saturday night. Do you remember that? Mm, yeah. When Wright, he had the show. Yeah,
1: yeah. And
2: he was, yeah. And I, and I felt they're not using Ian Wright, I mean, Ian Wright Wright, the <laughs> right way. He was, yeah, Ian was excited about doing it, obviously. I mean, a footballer doing a Saturday night show interviewing Elton John is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure if you go back and you ask him, he'd say, "Well, I'm better suited to do it now than I was then." I didn't want to do that um, for all the money it gives you and everything. I just felt so. I did get the opportunities in a way. I did. I was asked. I was invited. I simply said, "I can't do it." I couldn't. I can't. I can't be. I can't go out of my lane and be ambitious for ambitious' sake. I felt at the time are you mad? Who would possibly turn this down? You know, but I was, no, I felt a fraud if I did it. And you obviously had such
1: love for your, the music that you were playing and the music you were DJing. And, and also, you know, this is, let's not forget, this is a time mega DJs earning a lot of money going out, as you mentioned earlier to a Ibiza, flying around the world, DJing. So in terms of the sacrifice for the fame actually wasn't a sacrifice for the finances, was it? Because you were still able to presumably earn a really great living. So you were able yeah. to pursue your passion mm-hmm. and continue to, you know, to be in a, a very lucrative area of uh, the world of broadcasting and entertainment.
2: Yeah. There were lots of DJs who earn far more than me and, and them far, far wealthy than I am. I remember I play r and I play R&B. That's small club music. That's not 10,000 people, you know, there are so many huge DJs that you don't see at all. I mean, they are living in Malibu. They're living in you know, you know, the Carl Coxes of this world. Huge, you know, you know. I mean, good luck to and, them. And they, even
1: that didn't tempt you.
2: <laughs> no, no, I, I could have. You know, do you know, Gabby, at the time when Kiss was a pirate radio station, and we became legal in in, in 1990, I. A lot of DJs made the choice to play dance music because they knew that was the music that was good. That's what kids wanted. That's what's going to make you a big star. And a few of us, a handful of us stuck with our soul and R&B and I was still, I remember when I joined Radio One, I was still playing in clubs that held 200 people while my contemporaries were in a beef for playing to 10,000 people, you know, and, and that is just, but people to this very day still talk about those clubs. And that's important to me.
1: And have your audience grown with you? you know, do your Radio 2 audience, and obviously that's a certain demographic, but do you, do you see when you do DJ and you see who's listening to your music now or you know who's listening to your shows? I mean, you play a real mix, don't you, on on your Radio 2 show? You play some new stuff, you play some old classics. Um, do, you, do you know that there are younger people who are getting their R&B education from you?
2: Yeah, I'm fully aware. I think the one thing I, I know is my audience. And um, I think that when you go to a station, you have to do a show that's right for the station. People love to say things like, I mean, I can tell you've listened, <laughs> right? From what you've said so far. But you, you know, people, I went to radio too, I remember, and I and I remember saying to myself, you know, they've never had a show like mine, so mm. I can't expect them to have people who understand what I'm playing. But I can do a show for them because it's at the right time of night. I'm the right voice at that time of night. The music I like suits that time of night. And I remember going and saying, doing my five seconds to name quiz and saying, when you send your answer in, tell me who your favorite band is or your favorite act And be honest, I got Def Leppard. I've got Led Zeppelin. <laughs> I've got, got, I didn't get Otis <laughs> Redding. I didn't get um, Beyonce. I didn't get Shadomar. You know, i got one in 10 was a genuine soul act. And yet they were listening. And this is what I said to my producer. Yeah, look, look at this. And she was like, oh my God. And I said, I don't play any of this music. And I said, but they're listening. They're listening. So that's their favourite band. But yet they're listening to me playing, I don't know, Georgia Smith or Drake or something. And I said, there's something in me. I love you know? that new
1: Georgia Smith. You played it a few times, Amazing. that new Georgia Smith song. Oh, and I was going to talk to you about that, actually, about giving a prescription for somebody like me who I'm fully aware that I can get into a rut. And I'm sure a lot of midlifers will recognise this, right, where you keep playing the same stuff. Right, you listen to a show like yours, yeah. or you might be driving along and you hear a song. You like, then you get home and you've forgotten the song because your memory's full because you're 50 years old, and then you hear it again. And you go, oh yeah, I must download that song. And I think, um, well, what you can do presumably is go and look at your playlists that you do for your for your shows, and and hopefully get those downloaded. But uh, you need to do prescriptions. I think for people, you know, like, um, <laughs> what are your favourite songs, and uh, you could make a fortune. It could be like. Um, what was that? Was it Cameo, that thing where people used to record messages? You could do like somebody's yeah. birthday top 10 <laughs> prescription new songs that um, I should be listening to or that you
2: should be listening to. One I, I, I listen think to. so. I, I, but I do believe as middle aged people, I, I have a theory that most of my audience have checked out New Music You know, they don't buy new music or care to stream new music. It's just filling for them. So I actually treat new music on my show as a bridge. So I'll play, um, say I play the Isley Brothers. Who's that lady, who's that lady? And you're humming along, I know this song. And then I play George Smith. And unless you're truly invested, you won't even remember who it was I've just played. Unless you're invested. Um, If you're, but the hope in my head is that someone like you goes, oh, I really like that George Smith you're playing. So you, you, you know, you're, if you hear something you like that's new, you're willing let it enter your mind and, and ruminate a bit and just go, oh, if he plays it again and again.
1: And we talk about this about midlife as a lot, that you need to keep learning and you keep need to keep refreshing your brain with whatever it is, your passions, and not just shut your life down, whether it's, I only read this kind of book, I only watch this kind of TV, I only listen to this kind of music, you know, I know what I like now. And, I, and I'm and i really mindful that perhaps music is the one of the areas that I'm least adventurous. Do you know
2: what I mean? <laughs> I, I do you, But I don't blame you. Everything that's set out for you out there is to play hits that you know. Every radio station will play hits that make you comfortable. I argue with my partner all the time. When we get in the car, she listens to a certain radio station that I used (laughs) to be a part of many years ago that I helped start. And I say to her, "I I know what they're gonna play. She goes, I don't care. I'm driving for 15 minutes, I need a fix. I'll bring you flowers. flowers. You know what? And then I go, I bet I know what's coming next. And, you you know, we have this game, but she's happy. Um, I I have to force her to listen to my show. So, well, she's asleep anyway, so she listens again. But but I I do understand why midlifers are set in their ways, like what they like. And but there, is, I'm sorry, but there is there are midlifers out there that I see. I still DJ every other week, who come out party like they don't care, and are just full of life and amazing people. I'm so glad I still DJ because I meet the most amazing people, Gabby. Honestly, they are full of beans. They're like the shack. Their kids are grown. The yes. shackles, are grown. and they and they're different animals. They're so... No, they're worse than they were when they were young. Well, I've got <laughs> you know the,
1: parties the next two weekends. And um, the thing I'm... As well as getting dressed up and everything, one of the things I'm looking forward to is the music and the bands because I know I'll probably dance for like three hours because I don't go to nightclubs anymore, mm. right? So I don't get to, to dance. So it's parties really is where you kind of end up dancing. And, and then afterwards... You know, you think, oh, I need to do that more. I need to do more of that. Because, you you know, you, you never feel bad, do you, when you've heard great music for three hours and you've been dancing? You just don't. It's such an yeah. unbelievable hit of, of endorphins.
2: But you're also not standing there, seeing if you're being checked out by somebody, like when you were a kid, like when you were younger. You know, <laughs> I, jo- I joke about this all the time. I get on the microphone and I say to people, oh, how are you doing? Sort of thing. And they were like, hey. And I say, yeah, babysitter's in or da 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 or whatever, whatever. Do you remember when you used to come out and, you'd, and it'd be in their local town? Because I always like going around. I don't like people having to travel. I travel to you. So I go, I remember you used to go to a club and there's always someone in the club you cannot stand. Oh, she's here or he's there. Oh, I better stay in this corner. Or, you know, he's, the, or he's a pest. He's got a pest. You yeah. know, now we don't care. We dance, we sweat, we don't care what we look like. so much. Some people do, some people don't care how they dress. They've they lost their sense of fashion. They don't care, they're here to have a great time. And it's so different, the energy. And, and I am actually enjoying DJing now more than I ever did, and that is not even a lie. I love it. Um, I hate the travel, hate the hotels, hate not being at home on a Sunday morning. But once I'm on that stage, and I see the love. It's mad. It's crazy. just... So what are the venues you're, you're DJing in? Are they
1: are these clubs where they're attracting a more, um, let's say, a plus 30 crowd then?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And I won't yeah. do clubs. I don't right. do So, Right.
1: So what are the venues then?
2: It has to be a live music venue. Right. It has to be a live music venue. I, won't, I don't believe mums and dads go to venues that their kids go to. No. They don't want to be seen dead in there. So... No. It's got to be a life. Lively...
1: It doesn't work for either side.
2: <laughs> no, at all. You don't want to be seen walking in some glitzy place called Benji's or something, like no. <laughs> so I, I go into venues. They're a bit. They're not. You know, the thing about these venues is, they stand up. You stand up. You see a band. So you stand up, and I'm there. The sound's always really good, and um, I and I, I'm not in. I don't have to walk through the crowd, which is I get traumatized walking through a crowd. I really do. I I still not get to come nervous from
1: backstage.
2: Yes, I don't like walking through a crowd and people, I don't know, I just don't like it. I prefer to just be on stage and orchestrate and um, and people watch, which is the best thing ever. People watching, I mean, it's always been the best seat in the house. People making fools of themselves, people, people just being inappropriate, people trying to dance like they used to 20 years ago and they can't <laughs> get up. Disc. They can get down. <laughs> they can't get up they, it's like you see them crawling up like oh, man, i'm here i'm here and i said "Jesus, get low again oh okay it's, it's hilarious it's so funny and do you think
1: this keeps you young trevor do you think this keeps your spirit young
2: i think so and i think um and i'm not deliberately trying to stay young but it just you just you've got a joie de vivre you know what i mean you've got and these people you, you bounce off and they're and they look at you and they'd, they'd say, I've still got life. Look at me. I'm still alive. They, it's almost like they're holding placards going, I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm here. <laughs> I say, Who's staying till the lights come on? Me. <laughs> you know, it's all it's really. Cliff Richard once said, I remember when I was younger, I remember him doing interviews and I remember going, Oh, gosh. When he said things like, Oh, my fans, my fans, mums, daughters. I was like, oh, shut up, Cliff. I was like, Oh, excited. So to... And now I'm saying it. And now I'm saying mums and daughters come to my gigs. And I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm turning into Cliff. But, but
1: you're grateful. I mean, I think I do not think yeah. you get to an age where you go, well, I'm, I'm just grateful that you are here because I, you know, I don't care who it is. I'm glad that yeah. you're involved and you're enjoying yourself yeah. and, and yeah. you're making yeah. people smile. Now, you said yourself that you think you look better now than you did when you were 30 and you look 30 sitting here well, I'm on this screen you've just said your internet might be dodgy but it's not dodgy that yeah. i you know that it takes years <laughs> off you um yeah. so and you also i read a quote from you saying it, it's not a case of black don't crack it's a case of we wear more moisture there's something along those lines that you are basically <laughs> saying about black skin um and i can't say that but you can say that so well um, <laughs> but your skin is either very well moisturized or you've got a, a secret to tell us
2: no, I, I, I think, no, I, I generally think I don't moisturise much. I don't really do that much. But the number one thing is if you don't moisturise your hands, Gabby, I wouldn't be able to tell. If I don't, don't, it looks like the Gobi Desert. You can see, we call it ashiness. We've got no choice. We have ashy knees, ashy elbows. So we have to moisturise. But um, no, I, I, well, I think we're blessed. A lot of us are very, very fortunate. That The reason I say I'm, I I look younger now than I did then is only because I never slept then. And my eyes were constantly red and tired and I thought I was Superman. Whereas now I make sure I get minimum six and six, I can function on six. Um, You should be getting
1: seven really, shouldn't you? No,
2: I I mean, in an ideal world, but when you've got a missus who goes to bed at 10, honestly, and wakes up at six every morning, it's really, and, 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 and the moment you, even if you're wearing socks and you go into the bedroom, any slight movement. I was joking with my friends. Um, like, actually, JJ lives around the corner. He, he does one show. He lives near me, and we play Jermaine. Jermaine, yeah. We're good friends. And um, we, were jo- we, took, we went out with our partners to dinner, and we, we were chatting away, and we were saying, I said to him, you know, coming in, honestly, coming into the house, I put my, I put my phone torch on, and I, I don't put the lights on, and I sneak around the bedroom. And he said, I do exactly the same, and we, we, we it was hilarious. And our partner said, you know, sitting opposite, just laughing. And I'm going, I mean, even a slight movement, and she's moving, and and, and we creep into bed, and he's telling me his techniques for getting undressed <laughs> so she can't hear, and then he he dropped the bomb on me, which is which is the funniest thing. I said, and father's using the toilet because like he goes, why don't you sit down? And like, <laughs> oh my God, all these years, all these years. Well, do you know, that's how I know.
1: That's how I know my husband's come in normally because his wedding ring and I've worked out what it was. He does sit down but then he obviously rests his hand on the toilet seat and I can hear his wedding ring clinking. And I never knew what that's... And then I, one night I was like, it's his wedding ring. I mean, I'm yeah. glad that he comes in wearing his wedding ring. Obviously, that's a bonus. But, um, but I, I'm very good at kind of... He gets... There's like a little dressing room off the bedroom. So he gets stripped off in there. Goes through to the, the toilet. The automatic light comes on in the bathroom when he's in there. So I can see the chink of light. And I do wake up, but I get back to sleep really quickly. I don't even check the time. You know what I mean? It could be four in the morning. I've got yeah. no idea
2: what the time is. I don't I want know. to check the time. You, you no. don't want to check. But this, it's the same thing. I get changed in the bathroom. We all do the same thing. It There's a pattern. And there's a male-female pattern, I think. Um, I, I, I remember saying to my mates, I bumped into mates because we did a big thing at the Royal Albert Hall on Friday, just gone, which was really good for Windrush. Oh, that
1: looked amazing. I saw that on um, Denise Lewis's uh, social media as well. It looked amazing. did Denise go? Yeah, Denise was there. Did she go? I'm so glad
2: she went. Um, But it was so good. It was so, I had some of my most hyper, you know, you've got critical friends when you say, you know, like say you've done a show on TV again and you go, what was I like, honestly? And you've got a friend who will tell you. Mm -hmm. Not an agent, a friend. No, nah, what you're wearing, Gabby, that wasn't right. Didn't, you didn't look great. You, know, you, you go, with oh, well, fair enough. Well, I had all of them there, and they all came. <laughs> we're having a laugh, and we're all, we all look similar. We're all looking for our age and stuff. And then we broke it down, and then I said to my mate, yeah, so after this, the thing about this, it's been a fantastic night. I mean, I'm buzzing, but I'm going home to watch the Discovery Channel, any random <laughs> documentary on at three in the morning. And then he said, that's what I do. And then he said, did you know there was this, this emperor that was and he, he, he googled the guy and I keep meeting my mates who I think are super cool and they all do the same thing they watch war documentaries they watch anything into the does your husband do that? please tell me he does
1: uh, I, I, no I think he, he genuinely will be coming straight in and coming to bed because he wants to, oh, because no. in the morning I don't know what, what your partner's like he'll have to get up at the same time as me so I'm, I'm not like going to creep up in the morning I'll be like right everybody curtains open so I think oh, he wants to get to sleep as quickly as possible but we would do that if we came in late yeah. from somewhere. We would definitely start watching some nonsense documentary or something that um, that you're thinking it's three in the morning. I need to turn the TV off now. But that, isn't that the joy of midlife? You can come in and do That's that and not fun. feel you have to be carrying on at the party somewhere yeah, or yeah, you fun. know going after to the after party.
2: Club. I don't know what that means an after party.
1: <laughs> Let's bring in Sarah Gilchrist, who is an expert in sleep and athletic performance. We've touched upon sleep there. So I think it's a good time to just get our expert today uh, on the podcast. Uh, hello, Sarah. Thanks for joining us.
0: Hello. I was enjoying your conversation. <laughs> oh, oh, good, Sarah.
1: good. Um, Sarah, you heard there that Trevor is a, a late sleeper because of his show. He gets to bed a bit later. Um, he's getting seven, sorry, six hours sleep um, at the moment, which he seems to be happy with. Um, And I think it's really important as well to actually address shift workers because he can't change when his show is right. It's that time of the day. So he's not going to be going to bed at 1030 with his partner. And a lot of people listening to this will also have those kind of random shift patterns. And I I always feel for those people because when sleep advice is given, it's always get to bed at a regular time. You know, try and do it before 11. Don't be in front of screens and all that kind of thing. Sorry, go on, Trevor. You're going to come in.
2: Can I add one thing to that before you answer, Mm. Sarah? Also, adrenaline. Okay, depending on what you do for a living, all right Now, if you're an accountant and you're working late, I don't think you get home with an adrenaline bus to come down from. <laughs> but when you're talking, when you're playing music to the nation or you've come in from a gig, it's very hard to go straight to bed and say, well, I need sleep. Cause, because what about me? What about me for a couple of hours winding down? What about me decompressing? So that totally. So I always
1: even when I do match of the day and I'd finish on air at midnight in Salford and I get home at three in the morning afterwards. And when I get in, I still feel I need another hour to decompress. And that's really, that's hard, Sarah, isn't it? Because you can't, you know, kind of accelerate decompression. No,
0: you can't. And it, I mean, sleep is individualized, just to your point on the six hours, Trevor, if that works for you, that's, that works for you. Um, seven to nine is the guide, but some people are six, some people are 10, but that decompression particularly after doing something like that, where the adrenaline's pumping, it's like people that do exercise in the evening because that's where they can fit it in around work and then come home. You don't kick your trainers off and get straight into bed. The key then is to sacrifice the quantity and then have, have quality sleep. So you might have less sleep that evening But you've decompressed. So when you do go to bed, you're in a state of mind that you can fall asleep rather than be buzzing from being on national radio or doing whatever it is you've been doing. The difference with you, Trevor, is it's something you do most nights of the week. So it's not one night of the week. And that's where with shift work in particular is that it becomes a lifestyle choice. It's not a job. It's a it's a way of living and that you incorporate the the job into your lifestyle. Um, and then that's an easier way to manage. And when you're not working those hours, if you have time off, you're on holiday or you have a break, then that's the time to get back on to a really good sleep routine, a, a normal, and in inverted commas, sleep routine.
1: Can you do that, Trevor?
2: No, no, sorry, Sarah, I was going to interrupt you. Thank you for interrupting, Gabby, because I was <laughs> going to shut you down right there, Sarah. <laughs> when I go on holiday, it's murder. It's horrible. I love the. We go on holiday. But we have a home in Saint Lucia. We go there. Ah, uh, we look forward to it. It's what's the time difference? Eight, is it eight hours? Diff, five hours? Five or six hours different? So nine o'clock in Saint Lucia is two o'clock our time. Mm. And they'll be pre ready to just. She'll be out like a light. I cannot sleep for love nor money on holiday. It takes me. We'll go away for ten days. Day seven, I'll, I'll I'll be all right, and then it's we're coming home. It's so difficult. i, I it's bit, been you, like this. You get a
0: desynchronization years. of what's called your circadian rhythm, your, your your internal body clock, which which you have many, and sleep is one of your biggest drivers of that you've entrained yourself and it also might be your chronotype it may be that actually you're an evening person anyway which is why you do the job you do you know you are naturally born to to do your DJing or did you entrain into it because you love the job but then also you're you're combining that with a flight and then you're combining that with the time difference so if you went for three weeks a month that would change um so that might be quite nice to be in St. Lucia for three weeks or a month,
1: but not everyone can, can't do that. <laughs> I always feel for um, when you read, and I read a lot about, you know, kind of life advice regarding sleep and what people should be doing. And it it always does... Kind of be almost be quite prescriptive for people who re- lead regular lives and sh- and that shift workers who work through the night you know doctors, nurses who have to do night shifts till six seven in the morning um must read that stuff and feel like well i'm going to have a shorter life because this is all linked to longevity isn't it you know um and you know that must feel pretty hard to to think well i'm doing a job actually if you're a doctor or a nurse or a fireman you know you're doing vital work and you're actually potentially shortening the length of your life doing that what can people do to hack into that is there anything that you recommend from a supplementary point of view or um, uh, anything else lifestyle wise
0: I mean globally it's changed education of employers and employees has helped so um, where possible having like talk about lifestyle so rather than the vending machines you have healthy food People on shift work because your appetite, the hormones related to your appetite are affected. If you're you're awake in the night, you're more likely to want the pizza. But if they've got the choice of having healthier food options and on the whole can do that. Um, But it's the lifestyle side of things. So making sure when they're off shift that they can get the sleep that they need. The family are around that, you know, so the house is quiet, when they need to sleep, all those kinds of things so that they they're doing what they need to do on shift. Napping can be good if you've got the circumstances, the motivation, the opportunity to nap at the correct time.
1: Are you a, are you a napper, Trevor? Are you a napper? Me, um,
2: mm. involuntary. Yeah. I, <laughs> when I'm watching something I really like, I'll fall asleep. If I'm if I'm actually invested in something, well, the other day I was doing my yesterday. Even I was I had the laptop on. I was listening to new music, and I was gone. And it was because I was listening carefully to the song. If I'm not really involved. I don't nap. If I'm really involved, I so nap. concentrating when you're really focused. Yeah, which worries me when I'm driving because I'm really concentrating when I'm driving. But I've, I have to say, Sarah, I've been going to work some nights and I've yawned my way through Regent's Park, which really worries me. I get within five minutes of work and I've yawned six times and I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing?
0: Do you ever nap before work? Do you have a tap? No,
2: I can't force it. I, Any time i I get make an environment perfect for sleep, I don't sleep if i If I'm not meant to sleep, I will probably nap um, When you get to so, work trevor does the does the adrenaline start pumping, and that's kind of what gets fine. you through moment I walk through the door I, the yawn stop i'm absolutely. it's a different I don't know what goes on with my head because it's just oh you wouldn't know I was yawning. I'm absolutely fine <laughs> it's just weird I, I I generally believe Sarah, you can't help me. Because I I used to work, I used to have an office in Kentish Town and there was next door to me was a sleep therapist. And he had a place in Harley Street. So I went went up to him and I went, can you help me? This is 20 years ago. Gave me a diary. He gave me something to, you know, everything. And I just couldn't keep up with it. I couldn't do it. I said, I don't think I'm, I don't think anyone can help me.
0: Then that's the thing. Do you need the help? Cause you're saying you get six hours, you feel good. You feel, you look better than you did you're right. 30, all this kind of stuff. And you're delivering on the show. If you're refreshed, fully productive at, at work and on the whole in the working day, then the chances are you're getting enough sleep. And there is this aspect of in training yourself into the environment in which you work and sleep so I used to work with elite rowers they have to be up very early in the morning were they all early risers in the morning were they, if they were left to sleep naturally probably not but did they entrain into it or actually were the elite ones the larks naturally were they larks same with swimmers or canoeists who get up early so you entrain into a certain way of sleeping you've been doing it a long time <laughs> and then so you're, you're kind of used to it and your body your your job involves adrenaline so there's, there's lots of chemical influences to the role that you do that physiologically make you alert. You touched
2: on something that I've thought about a lot and I've never got professional advice on this. I like to keep healthy if possible. So my, my, my do you know the way I do it? Because I can't, I'm not a member of a gym. I've got bits of equipment at my house. Um, so what I do, I've got a little golf screen in the garage. So what I do, I put a couple of weights in there and some bands. I have something in the bedroom. I've positioned around the house as a constant reminder, do something you lazy get, right? So <laughs> what I do in between golf shots, I'll do some reps. So I'll play a hole, which takes about a couple of minutes, and then I'll do some reps. And I'll do, you know, and I started thinking, look, if you can't sleep, that's, that's okay, it works for me, but if you can't sleep and you get in at 1, 12.30, Why not exercise? I hear a lot of people exercise late at night. Maybe that will knacker me out and I'll fall asleep. But you give me the impression that your adrenaline kicks in more. It might hurt your sleep.
0: It depends on the type of exercise you're doing. If you're there with a TheraBand and it's some stretching and all that kind of stuff, then that's not going to... Uh, give you any more adrenaline than running a national show on radio. Um, I mean, and some golf swings, you know, as long as you're not getting frustrated with your golf swing and getting yourself worked. (laughs) You know,
2: golf, you must play golf. You must play golf. (laughs) You (laughs) said (laughs) that.
0: What about
1: magnesium? Do you take magnesium, Trevor?
2: Yes. Yes, I've got magnesium, but I haven't been taking it. And I don't, and and, um, a physio recommended I take magnesium and it was more for muscular you know reasons or something
0: well mag- magnesium is used by the body for a whole host of recovery processes which is why it's one of the reasons that it, it the theories is around the fact that it can help with sleep but you play golf so you must access daylight on a fairly regular basis around the fact that you work indoors late at night and that can help with sleep as well so if you've accessed the daylight we usually stay in the first third of the day but obviously with your sleep patterns that might not be possible but if you're accessing daylight on a regular basis you're relatively healthy in terms of your nutrition and you're doing some sort of physical activity i don't say exercise because people think i mean they have to be training for a marathon it doesn't have to be that it can be walking the dog it can be like you say therabands whatever golf swings in the garage whatever it is um and then you know you were in a routine you're asleep yes you're working late but you are in a routine it's not like you're doing tuesday and thursday nights and then the odd saturday it's like it's a regular slow. So you're you're in a routine and in a ry- rhythm. And then where possible, you're valuing your sleep, protecting it, prioritising it. And you're saying you're regularly getting that sleep. Yeah, it's out. good
2: deep sleep. It's good deep sleep. Yeah, I don't wake up in the middle of the night in the middle of my sleep. It's good deep no. sleep. I wake up and I'm pretty groggy when I wake up until I've had my coffee or porridge. And
1: <laughs> and you're not having coffee, caffeine late during your show when you're on air. No.
2: No. Well, I have, I, I have as a routine ritual, because I've got to have something. You've got to be a diva a little bit when you do something. else They don't respect you, you know what I mean? You know, <laughs> Gabby, what you're talking so about. what do you have, so No, I get in and I have a ginger tea with honey. Mm, nice. A little bit of money, and I say to to my team, it's for my voice. It's not. I just want them to do something for me. But it's, <laughs> I have a little, I have a little gulp. It, I suppose it helps, and I don't see that as any. I only a little no, that's bit. That's all. Of honey. That's all.
1: It sounds like it's all good, Sarah, doesn't it? And and Trevor's doing some good practice. Anybody listening who's doing shift work, there's there's a lot of um, a lot of stuff to take away from what Trevor's doing there. So, what would your before we lose you, your um, top three tips for somebody at the moment? I think you've kind of alluded to a few of them there, but if you were just to up some for us, Sarah?
0: Working shifts, it's a lifestyle choice. So you have to incorporate it into the whole of your life. It's not just something that's separate to the rest of what's in your life whether it's walking the dog family life it has to be part of it um and i, I know you'll say people have told you this trevor and it doesn't work for you but it physiologically getting back onto a routine when you are off shift so if you're working traditional shifts in terms of um doctor paramedic whatever you have that 10 12 day period where you can get back into a routine will help in the long term physiologically um and then remembering it's an individualised approach what works for you relaxation techniques that help you get to sleep work for you whether it's a golf swing or whether it's um watching something on netflix to decompress it's uh, it what what works for you not what everyone else is doing thank you so
1: much for coming back on the midpoint really appreciate it sarah thank you
0: you're welcome all right thanks see you
1: Trevor, when you, we talked about you as a 30-year-old and kind of your lifestyle and how you are now, what about being a dad in, in midlife and the responsibilities? Because by the sounds of your lifestyle in your kind of 30s and 40s, you were busy, you, were, you know, moving around, travelling around. Did that mean that during the day you got to spend time, more time with your kids, that say other dads didn't? No,
2: I, well, I, I, my, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a sore point with me because I didn't really... I mean, my daughter wasn't raised by me. She was raised by her mum. And um, my marriage was, which was 15 years, was with my son. And again, I weren't around much. Obviously, my wife at the time didn't work, so she was with him all the time. And I just assumed... I made that sort of assumption that if you're in a privileged position where your partner doesn't have to work, your kid, in a sense, is getting raised better because it's getting a full-on attention of a parent who's monitoring everything, but... Mm that parent has to be right <laughs> you know you know and we had real I, I had real difficulties um, and the kids are a bit of a sore point for me because I don't think I ever had the chance to raise my kids where I'd love to have raised them and I think a lot of people who work the way I do or have been in that situation feel the same way and um, Gabby my dog's returned can I get my dog in
1: Yes, of course you can. Yeah.
2: Lisa's outside. Sorry. Sorry, she just called me. Ella. Sorry. Oh, God. Give me a second. All
1: right. Come really? on, Ollie. Say
2: hello. Oh. Say hello, Ollie. Hello, Ollie. Oh. Hello. He's, all he cares about is his food, and I'm not going to feed him now.
1: That's so gorgeous. You. I think, think I've seen him on your social media or somewhere, and um, he's actually more handsome when he's 3D You're or 4D, lovely. whatever this is. He is, 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 I'm... He
2: is he's, absolutely the best. He's Isn't gorgeous. You, Oh, hey, he looks I'm very well groomed as well. Yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: He's very right. well groomed.
2: We lovely. And it's, it's. food. Sorry, sorry. No, no, it's absolutely. Fine. Fine. Where do we get we're to?
1: Talking, we're talking about how you, with re, maybe, it is one of your regrets in life, and it is a time. Midlife is a time, isn't it, where you start thinking about things yeah. you might have done differently. But you, you were just saying that you wish you kind of had a maybe yeah. more in, input into the way you your kids were absolutely. brought up.
2: No, absolutely. I wish. Um, But at the same time, I look at it and I say, there's no way I would have really been able to do what I did. I know it's horrible to say it. And I know people love to say, I'll do anything for my kids. I'll do, you know, but when you're, when you're given the opportunity I had to do something that I was so passionate about, you know, you kind of, you just have to see it through. You know, I, I thought, I thought I had a decent setup. It wasn't to be, we got divorced. It was tough. You know, it was really, divorce is really difficult. And I have lots of regrets. I mean, loads of regrets, but at the same time, I don't think I'd be here talking on this podcast about me being anybody having not haven't had a career. If I did what idealistic people always say, which is no, stop what you're doing. Go and do this, go and do that. You know, in fairness to me, I didn't sit there and go right, let's start a family and then do that. That it didn't work that way. And I would never have done that. I wish I started my family a little later, when I had more time. Yeah, it's just not the ideal. It's not what I wish it could have been. That's that's what I mean. It's very
1: hard though, isn't it, to you know, to get what is the, the ideal scenario and you'll always have things that you I mean, was it because you look back at the way you were brought up with your sisters? And it was very yeah. different to that, I assume, obviously. Very
2: yeah, very good, very different. I mean,
1: <laughs> yeah. How was your upbringing?
2: Parents were it. When what they said went, full stop. You know, there was no no matter how much you might have fallen out with your mum or dad, in your head mentally, oh I hate you. You know that sort. Of, you go through those stages of stop telling me what to do. The respect was enormous mm. if if they said do something it was done if they mm. said you know the respect especially west indian families you know it was just that's how it was then another generation will tell you about your business <laughs> just tell you about yourself you know they don't feel away they'll sit there at dinner and go yeah that's because you're like this aren't you you're just like wow. in my head I think boy would I have said that to my mum or dad no way but they do and and I, I kind of don't mind it you know it is what it is I th- you know, my kids are now, they're not, they're not kids, they're not 30 and 32, you know, they're not kids. They're not kids. So, do they say things to you that you still wouldn't say to your parents? Absolutely. Mm. Of course. I mean, I wouldn't say they're rude, but they're, they're not afraid. You know, they're not afraid at all. And I think the world has changed. You know, you, you can't, I mean, I know people that, I mean, my old man, gosh, my relationship with my dad was just <laughs> so different. You know, it was just so. Oh my god! I just, I didn't want to be in a in a car with my dad at times because he'd say, "How school?" You know those sort of moments when you go, "Oh, can we talk about the cricket or the football, Dad?" <laughs> no, how school? You know? <laughs> you know, I'm just like, "School's
1: all right." Did he ever turn around and tell you he was really proud of you? Did he ever tell you he was?
2: Um, took him a while. Took him a while because I was record mad. I didn't. No, I was going to work in that in the music industry. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was working in a shoe shop. And, you know, my dad always said I was his most intelligent child. Um, I didn't go to university. I didn't get any A-levels. I got eight old GCs, GCS, you know, O-levels. GCs,
1: yeah, O-levels.
2: Yeah, yeah. I got eight of them. I should have gone on, but I didn't know anyone who went to uni, so I didn't go uni. It was a different time. Was that
1: a bit of a disappointment for him? Did he want you to go to uni? Did he want you to be the one that did?
2: Yeah, I mean, you've got to remember, he's the second wave of Windrush generation. They came here for something different for their kids and for their lives, you know, and they had to do jobs that were beneath them. My dad was a very bright man, but he was a bus conductor when he came. You know, you know what I mean? And, and so they really looked focused on you doing well. But at the same time, they also understood that you had to get, you know, if you didn't go to university, get a job have some idea of what you're doing, you know, get a trade. Because in those days, trades were the big, you know, YTS schemes and things like that, you know, mm. we, you know you've know, got a trade. Mm. Apprenticeships were huge if you didn't go to uni, and I didn't do either. I just loved music, and I didn't want a job in music, but it's the only thing I showed true passion for, you know. My mum and dad really were worried about how many records I used to buy, how I was funding my hobby because it was so expensive, but then when, when Kiss, I remember when Kiss FM got a license, I think we shared a, a bottle of champagne and he said, he that's the first time he truly, I think he ever said, yeah, he said, well done. You know, he sort of said, it meant a lot. I didn't show it, but it meant a huge amount to me when he said, well done to me. Because, you know, it. I, I don't know, I just felt, you know, and, and they made me, they put me on the board of directors when I was 25 on Kiss. Wow. I, believe I was the only DJ on the board of directors. I don't know, like, I don't know why people saw this in me. And I was like, what? Really? Okay. And that's been my life, really. I've always waited for people to say, I think you should have this job, rather than me saying, I want this job, you know.
1: It's kind of worked, it's kind of worked out well for you, though, that that way of being, hasn't it? Even though you, you imply that perhaps you could have had more ambition
2: for yourself at times. Yeah, but I think I'm afraid of failure, Gabby. You know, I think if you're really honest with yourself, I think, and I'm being honest with you, I, I, I'm not one of those people who thinks I can do anything. I, I just think, I don't like, I never liked girls saying no to me, so I never asked them out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm one of those cowards, right? So any time I felt I was out of my lane, I would be a coward, and, and I would just not ask. I wouldn't ask for stuff. I'd wait to, to be noticed, in everything in my life
1: so the, your your partner now did, did she have to kind of trip you up and like you know but basically hello I think, I'm
2: here <laughs> I, I think she did a little bit I think she did a little bit I mean we've we've been seeing each other a long time and um like I said we're finally tying the knot so better late you know, than never yeah but it's you know what I don't feel I feel the first time I did it I made a big mistake if I'm being honest, I was I, I rushed into it. I did something that and I, no disrespect to, to my former wife, but I just on a whim kind of thing. I've done my due di- diligence now. <laughs> I've done my due diligence. And I realised, you know, you know when someone's just right for you and she's just right for me, so right for me. We get on and um
1: So when did you get engaged?
2: Um you you ready for this? Yeah. Seven years ago. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, we're in a restaurant. We got. What you're waiting
1: for, just to make sure the seven year itch wasn't a thing,
2: well, and then <laughs> we're, in rest- we're in a restaurant, and I proposed to her, and she started crying, and I was trying to look cool and not flustered, and people around other tables are going, "Oh, he's a horrible man. Look at Ether. She is look at his girlfriend. She's distressed. He's not going over and, and 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 sort of comforting her. He must be arguing with her. And I don't think it looked like a a propose, it looked more like a, like, like a happy you know? moment. It
0: looked like <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But, uh, no, it
2: was seven seven years ago. I know, well, a long
1: time. You know, we've kind of we've kind of done this interview in reverse. I quite like it. We've kind of like yeah. we've kind of gone back to the start and now we're finishing on um what what I think in midpoint history of three years doing this podcast, no, no midlifers have announced they're getting married very soon, which is great. I mean, you know, that's we, I might have to buy a hat. I mean it's the first midpoint wedding that's coming up. <laughs> <laughs>
2: the first person i've told publicly
1: oh wow well, we've got we've got an exclusive oh
2: um
1: i won't ask you where you're doing it but um i would imagine st lucia could be on the could be on the agenda you never no.
2: know no okay it's okay very quiet fair. for anyone who's w- listening to this podcast by the way if you're waiting for an invitation don't worry there's no need
1: right it's very it. small it's a very small tiny. wedding
2: it's it's siblingish it's right. tiny right okay it's um, tiny but wedding but the joy is the great tracks <laughs> If you, have, if you have, yeah, if you have an honour, if you have an honour, you can get married at St. Paul's Cathedral in a chapel. Wow. So, okay, so Trevor Nelson MBE
1: thought. might be giving away the venue. Wow. wow, that's amazing to think that, you know, kind of when you think about you back in Camden, right, just loving your music, to think that one day you yeah. get married in St. Paul's Cathedral. That's pretty special, yeah.
2: isn't it? That's pretty special. I think so. And, you know, and actually me, it's its taken me to, to get to this point, to look, be looking forward to an occasion like this, actually really looking forward to an occasion like this and wanting to do it. And the reason it took so long is because lots of people don't get married anymore. They're happy living together. And I just thought, mm, nah, I, I want it. And, you know, and I, yeah, I want it. I, it's about time I felt whole, you know, and did, did, did that thing, that thing that's really organically right for me at the right time. So it comes to you at a certain time in your life. I mean, I never thought I'd be pottering around my garden. Oh, my God, it comes to everybody, doesn't it? I never thought I'd be loving a dog. I never thought I'd be keeping fish. I never thought I'd be playing golf. I never thought, (laughs) you know, I'd go for what I get. It comes to it. I don't care who you are. It comes to you. And if it doesn't come to you, I feel sorry for you because then you haven't lived. Because living is not just about... A mad, frantic life, getting on planes, flying about, saying, Oh, I've been to every country in the world. Have you been there? And it's not, it's not. You're missing the point. You, you high flyers, you manic people who run around like crazy, who think you're living life and everyone's jealous of you because you're Instagramming everything. Look at where I am today. You're actually not living life. Life is simple and the simplest things in life. When I'm in a hotel miles away, all I want to do is come home.
1: Yeah. You always want to get to your own bed. All I want to do is—I can't sleep in hotel beds. Well, I, I can't sleep. On if you kind of distill what really you want in life. It's to always want to be home, isn't it? Because home yeah. should be somewhere yeah. you, you know, you feel is the best place. So,
2: and my home is special, special to me, very, Everyone very special.
1: In, you're winning on that. On that, I think. <laughs> and it's—it's um, it's been so lovely to hear your a lot of your story, but also your midlife story and how you've got to that place right now where things are good and career wise as well. I think as, as great as you, you know, as you would ever expect a D de- as a young DJ to be nearly 60 and to have a show that you've got now playing the music, you love educating mm-hmm. people like me, I think is a, um, is a, you know, is a great place to be, isn't it? And still there just, with the moms and daughters on a Saturday
2: night. Yeah. yeah. I'm just, in, do you know what? I, I am, um, I think there is a thing about broadcasting, but when you stop trying to, I mean, I was never trying to be cool, honestly. I was never trying get, everyone just gave me some cool tank because of the music I played, how I looked and all the rest of it. I, I, I've never tried to be cool, right? But I think when you get older, you're just yourself, you're just honest, you know? And also the chance to play music that, I play Guilty Pleasures on that show, as you know, right? So I'll play some Elton, I'll play The Police, I'll play... I mean, and the reason I mention all these soft rock acts is because I've always had my ear on them, you know. I'll play even Thin Lizzy, you know what I mean? I'll play anything with that, that unique soulfulness that I like, um, the Arctic Monkeys, you know. And it's beautiful because I've come from an era where they tell you what you can or cannot play. I don't mean songs. but No, I mean, with the
1: playlist. can't
2: play old... Yeah.
1: yeah.
2: I've been on Radio 1 all those years, 17 years I was on Radio 1, couldn't play an old record. Wasn't allowed to play Earth in the fire. I grew up on Earth in the fire, so Radio Two's give me a second wind, and you can tell from listening to my show, I freaking love it. Yeah, <laughs> I really do. Anyway, Gabby, Thank great you. speaking to you. Cheers.
1: Thanks so much to Trevor. I love that he's enjoying life more on the cusp of 60 than he was when he was 30 and he's reaping the rewards of focusing on his own dreams instead of getting caught up in the ambitions of his peers. A lesson for all of us, I think, regardless of age. Catch Trevor playing The Tunes He Loves on Radio 2 Monday to Thursday from 10 o'clock and on BBC One Extra on a Sunday morning. And you can catch the special Windrush concert we mentioned, Windrush 75 as well on Radio 2 this Sunday the 18th of June or catch up any time on BBC Sounds. A huge thanks to Sarah Gilchrist for her expert advice on sleep as well. Head to gilchristperformance.co.uk to find out more about Sarah's work. And thanks to Spiritland Productions for helping to put this episode together, but as always, my biggest thanks goes to you for listening. I'll catch you next time. Small details are big surfaces.